Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. We're so glad you have joined us for this sermon. You can find all our sermons at our website, holycommunion.net. In the name of our loving, liberating, life-giving God, amen. Please be seated. Today's readings include a fair bit of humor. God speaks to Job out of the whirlwind, and it is up to the reader to determine exactly how much snark comes from God's words. Were you there when I laid the earth's foundations? Who set its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring tape on it? I prefer to hear those words. I can't do the impression, but I prefer to hear those words in my head in the, vo in the voice of the Dowager Countess of Grantham. <laughs> Ellis did a fine job from what I could hear while I was doing childcare, don't get me wrong, but the, he's no Dame Maggie Smith. <laughs> and the Bible can it be humorous, and especially, especially when human beings in the stories are becoming self-important, when they're worrying about how they measure up. And for much of the Bible, the pursuit of status, the sense of self-importance is a joke. And it's the kind of joke that can carry a deep lesson for us. In the gospel this morning, there's sort of a subtle joke underneath the whole thing. You really feel for James and John, don't you? But I wonder if we are meant to imagine Jesus barely suppressing an eye roll, a smirk. We want you to do for us exactly what we ask, Jesus. Boys, who is following whom? We want you to grant us to sit at your right and left hand. And remember, these are the brothers that Jesus gave the nickname Sons of Thunder. And I wonder whether it's here that they earn that nickname in their foolish request. There's another joke around James and John with that nickname. Uh, Jesus uses a word in Mark that's hard to translate, Boanerges. And Mark gives us a translation of Sons of Thunder, but there are scholars who are wondering whether that's an accurate translation. Uh, to make a request like James and John make today, it takes a certain amount of guts. And because we're in a bilingual service, I might say, you know, Jesus is saying, guys, to make a request like that takes some cojones. And scholars wonder whether the name that Jesus gives them might mean something in that neighborhood. And I told you the Bible can be funny, but scripture uses humor to get our attention to draw us into the story, especially around questions of self-importance. Do you know anyone like James and John? Maybe you can even identify with their desire for so-called greatness. We subconsciously look for measurements, even the best of us, the size of a paycheck, the square footage of a house. Wealth in and of itself isn't really the problem. The problem is when we use wealth to measure self-worth or the worth of a neighbor. Now, one of our wealthier members uh, once told me that he decided to join Holy Communion for a kind of odd reason. He said, it's because the church doesn't have a parking lot. 
and hear me out. He said, I went to a number of Episcopal churches over the years, and afterward, everyone would go out into the parking lot and compare cars. There would be quiet comments about who drove a Mercedes or a Toyota. He said, I always found that part after the service to be unchristian. So when I found a church that didn't have a parking lot, I signed up. We find all sorts of ways to measure one another, don't we? Money, titles, whether we work in a corner office, an office, a cubicle, behind a counter, under the hood of a car. Even when we don't do it quite as boldly as James and John, there's a troubling subtext to a lot of our interactions. We measure our status and that of our neighbor. We worry about self-importance often. Before I go further, a word about context. In a church like Holy Communion, I need to point out there are nuances depending on how our particular groups have been treated by society. And there's a pretty wide conversation going on these days about something called black excellence. I know leaders in the black community who rightly will not apologize for striving for wealth, for influence, for everything their ancestors dreamed and worked for and were denied. I know women who demand the same treatment they watched male executives receive. And for centuries, the structures of power measured certain people by race, gender, orientation, language, national origin, ability, the list goes on. Many of these structures are still in place. So when a glass ceiling is broken, when a black leader is elected, or a queer person holds a position of influence, it's a source of pride for the community. I hear that. I do. I feel it at times, too. Questions of greatness, questions of measuring up, questions of self-importance are complicated by the history and present reality of structural oppression. And still, still there are times when even those who represent the best hopes of their community can get caught playing the games of status, of self-importance. And almost always, this is the time to ask, how are you giving back? If you are the embodiment of excellence for a community that has known oppression, if your very existence as a leader challenges the bigoted status quo, what Jesus says here in the gospel may ring a bit hollow. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Those words Jesus uses, servant and slave, they might make you take a step back from what Jesus has to say. I understand that, but let me urge you, don't step back from Jesus. Open up the nuance. Ask, how are you giving back? Beyond simply existing, how are you lifting your community? How are you empowering other leaders of color, queer folks, women? What are you doing to make sure that those glass ceilings don't get rebuilt under you? If you're using your status to serve, then I think Jesus would call you great. But I also know that it can be easy to get lost in the nuances. And in this congregation, you might be surprised, still includes a number of cis, white, straight, educated, able-bodied men. You're not off the hook. 
This congregation includes a number of folks who identify with all but one or two of those intersections of privilege. And Jesus' words today don't let you off the hook either. Jesus asks you to serve, even when service isn't something you're used to, especially when service isn't something you're used to doing. Jesus' refusal to play James and John's game around self-importance, around measuring up, it has something to teach us all. If you have privilege, if you have status, if you have wealth, how are you specifically using it to subvert the structures of power? How are you specifically working to identify the next generation of leadership? How are you making room? If you aren't sharing power, you're hoarding power. If you aren't actively dismantling bias structures, you are enabling them. These are the stakes, and they've been the stakes since the time of Jesus. If we aren't finding ways to break the rules of the status games, of the power games, of the self-importance games, if we aren't breaking the rules, then the game keeps going. That's why these words of Jesus are so important. <clears throat> Jesus' words, become a slave, act like a servant, they break the rules. They expose the joke in which so many of us are caught. St. Augustine commenting on the tendency, even in the disciples, even among Jesus' closest followers, to seek their own glory. Augustine read these verses with compassion. The saint said that deep down, these disciples are trying to get to their homeland, what Jesus calls the kingdom of God, what Dr. King translated as the beloved community. The disciples are longing to get there, but they cannot see the way. The homeland is on high, and the way to it is lowly, Augustine says. The homeland is life in Christ. The way is dying with Christ. Augustine lived in a time of martyrs. The dying was literal. And today we might say the way of Christ is dying to self. And dying to self remains counterintuitive. It's one of those things most of us have to learn again and again and again. Taking the lowly way means resisting the self-focused, self-fulfilling drumbeat of society. The way of humility won't be found in our partisan politics. Boy, we see that lately. The way of humility can't be bought. The way of humility is often best identified by becoming a servant of someone you'd likely not want to serve, someone you might not feel deserves your service. The way is found by letting go of self. One last word about God and about humor. Of course, there's that old joke. You can tell God has a sense of humor. Look at the platypus. But I think it's a little bit more than that. We can take these questions of self-worth, of greatness, of measurement against our neighbor very seriously, deadly seriously. There's no doubt. But in both today's lessons, we encounter men who have found themselves very important. Job, James, and John. They're taking themselves too seriously. And God's response isn't 
punitive. God's response isn't punishment. God's response is simply to take them lightly. There is a humor in these texts, I would argue, because God invites us almost always to take ourselves more lightly. The spiritual life should make us laugh at ourselves, at least sometimes, or else we're probably doing it wrong. God doesn't need us to waste our time feeling guilty. Feeling guilty is just another way of getting pulled into making it all about myself. And guilt is another obsession with self. Just roll your eyes at yourself, laugh, so you didn't lay the foundations of the world. You don't know how they were measured. Big surprise. Let it go. Then go serve your neighbor. That is how you get in on the joke. Amen.